Welcome back to the Silver Screen Roll Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and this is I Love Basketball. I'm joined today once again by Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how's it going? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're uh it seems like, you know, as 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 ill advised as it might be, uh the president is really focused on getting sports back up and running. So it's good for us, probably bad for the rest of the country. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm not going to attend a live sporting event until 2021. I'm on the, <laughs> yeah, the, the longer end of that spectrum. So we moved we'll a thousand miles away from <laughs> or 2000 miles away from Staples center. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think uh, Lakers games are in my, in my near future anytime soon. Yeah. Good thing there's so much open space in Texas. It's nice. Uh, it, it's actually easy social distancing. Yeah, it's it's actually really helped. I mean, there are a lot of people who are who have gone so far as to like it's a political statement not to, you know, not to socially yeah. distance. So you have a lot of people who are like proudly standing way too close, which like nobody mm-hmm. likes a, a close stander anywhere, a close talker for those Seinfeld <laughs> fans out there. Uh, but but <laughs> the idea that that it's now being done. Uh, to make you feel uncomfortable and to uh, put everybody at risk. It just makes it a little bit more annoying. But for the most part, though, like everybody out here has been really smart. And and I think like as a country, uh, you know, once we really started understanding how serious this was, I think everybody took it uh, as as seriously as they should have. You know, they're you're the, the random pockets where people are idiots like Florida continues to exist. But but, you know, for the most part, I and and I think that's why I think like doc, Dr. Fauci was out there saying that, uh, you know, he he does foresee sports coming back, uh, on on something, you know, closer to a realistic timeline than than maybe we would have foresaw. Which like President Trump talking about it, I've never really cared when he thought sports might come back. But when you hear Dr. Fauci talking about it, that that felt you know somewhat important that that felt it was it was good to see at least the headlines yeah i would agree and frankly most of the proposals i've seen for how to get sports back are pretty ridiculous yeah and things that i don't think athletes would agree to and i'm not sure how that accommodates like media beyond like the broadcast partners for the leagues so i i will say the i don't know if you saw this um tim kirchin was talking about this plan about major league baseball playing in japan this year where the japanese leagues have already been cleared so they would play in the evenings and then the mlb teams would play in the mornings in japan so they would air in the evenings in the u.s and the way he like relays the message is so funny he's like this is crazy but (laughs) uh, i don't know it's just he's uh I, i i briefly covered the dodgers there for dodgers nation and um was able to meet Kirkshin at spring training and one like he's as short as he jokes about being all the time right and then two he is the sweetest human being you could ever possibly meet he's like this way too nice of a guy given like how much success he's had which is kind of weird that you think success and you think a-hole immediately but but he's like the opposite of that he's like this really really nice guy but if he's calling something outlandish, if he's calling something ridiculous, then you know it's that to the nth degree. And which, like, <laughs> playing, moving an entire league halfway around the globe, yeah, that's that's pretty insane. But you know, even 
even while we say how insane and ridiculous all these things are, and while I'm sure athletes will probably push back on that, if the alternative is, hey, you guys won't get paid, then I think they start listening up a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know about you. I'm getting very desperate for live sports. Like I talked myself into horse maybe 12 minutes into the broadcast. Um, <laughs> to, to be fair, it got much, much better, better after the travesty that was that Chauncey Billups, Trey Young first matchup, which like if you've taped this ahead of time, why would you lead with that ESPN? <laughs> like, you know, you have better content coming. Yeah. Try to get people to stick around, you know? Yeah. Uh, they they needed to go the whole they needed to do the whole thing like unfortunately we ran into some technical difficulties here between Trey <laughs> Young and and so we're just gonna have to tell you that whoever won and whatever yeah uh, exactly what they need to do and you know it's hard to legislate like what kinds of shots that they take but they need to say all right per round or per letter or something like that one of you guys have to shoot with your wrong hand or. One of Mm -hmm. you guys aren't allowed to use your hands on this shot. Just something to make, because like the, when, when, was it Trey Young who said like he he started with a free throw? What kind of monster starts with a free throw? (laughs) He's, he's out there. They hadn't played horse in like 20 years. I guess Trey Young's (laughs) only like 20, but like at least half of his life. Or they just never played before and was like, oh, let me just pick shots that I know I'm going to make. Yeah, like, I remember getting I was sort of getting into it with someone in my mentions last week because I was like, this is a terrible idea. They should never, you know, have horse again, because I, a staunch practitioner of All-Star Weekend, remember when they had it an All-Star Weekend. <laughs> yeah. And it literally devolved into Kevin Durant and Rajon Rondo taking three pointers back to back to back because they were running out of time because <laughs> no one was missing any of the shots. <laughs> yeah. Like, I... Nobody tries anything fun. Well, the 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 all time example of how sp- how horse should be played, and again, this is this is, or I guess it's it's worth pointing out. Hey, this is a uh, scripted commercial, but the the old commercial <laughs> back with Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and I think it was Charles Barkley, and they're mm-hmm. like they were like, all right, off the American Airlines Center through the team tunnel, off of the fifth row. A five seat off of the popcorn vendors head bank shot swish. And it was just like this completely insane commercial that again, it was, it was scripted. So obviously they're getting, they're they're getting a little bit of help, but, but still like, these are some of the most talented people, the, 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 the people involved with this, like even Paul Pierce is so talented that he could shoot (laughs) Any number of shots that, you know, you and I would dream of wouldn't even like it wouldn't dawn on our brain to to try one of these shots and they would probably make it or they would they would feel relatively comfortable shooting it. And and yeah, I, I think if the league were to ever like if we go through another month or so of of uh, hiatus away from the from the NBA, the league should probably try to regulate the type of shots that they take. Just to just mm-hmm. to add a little bit of spice to this thing, because because when it started with a free throw, I turn I turned it off. I was like, all right, this is it's going to be Durant and Rondo all over again, uh, but with guys I who can hope, actually shoot. I just hope they had this conversation like with the second round participants before yeah. they filmed that one, because that so this podcast comes out on Thursday, so the semifinals, yeah. right, whatever, uh, the semifinals of the horse competition will be airing today, and I mean I'm I'm going to watch because. Like, what else do we have to do? Right. And I want to see shots of Mike Conley's lovely indoor gym again. 
it was good to see that like he gets he has like an entire hanger to himself apparently I know. um i i also like the the thing that I thought got kind of lost on Twitter was this idea that like ESPN for some reason wouldn't know that that was bad content. Like you, could you just imagine like we, we all know like Greg Bergman Bergman is a, is a producer there for, uh, for ESPN LA. Um, I've been able to, to develop a bit of a relationship with some producers on various, you know, entities across ESPN. These guys know what is and what is not good entertainment and I could just picture mm-hmm. some of these poor bastards' face when, when some of these shots when they when they first started this thing because they know it's bad and they're just sitting there like, yeah. oh my god, we brought all these people yeah. back to some version of sports and this is hot garbage. And I just yeah. I, I I like my heart kind of broke for the people who were responsible for this because they had the 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 actual technical difficulties and then the boring content itself. And fortunately, like you said, it, it kind of it it heated up. It definitely you know, picked up as it went along. Yeah, as it went like, along, the, and, was... and people got more comfortable. But but mm-hmm. early on, I'm sure there were a lot of producers who were like, "Oh well, guess who's getting furloughed next?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Chris Paul had legitimate horse shots. So did Ali Quigley. So did mm-hmm. Tamika Cashing. So did Zach Levine. Even though like he was barely like testing the barrier of dunking without dunking which i thought was such a lovely way to play against paul pierce who like legitimately has no second jump if ever yeah he's not like even Um, even in his prime he couldn't do some of the stuff that levine was asking him to do i just loved that zach was immediately like all right paul i'm gonna get you a letter right away (laughs) yep uh i guess we Uh, i guess we weren't actually going to talk about horse the whole show so it was, you know, something to talk about. <laughs> it was. Uh, what I did want to talk about, though, um, SB Nation has been running this series this week about the best teams to never win a title. And as you might expect, uh, the Lakers feature prominently on the 64-team list that has been assembled by the NBA team. And we've been writing about those teams this week for Silver Screen and Roll. Um, but I wanted to get your opinion, Anthony, because, you know, I wrote in length about the 61-62 Lakers today. Um mm. Which do you think are some of the greatest Laker teams to never win a title? And by that, I mean, like, the cores never really won a title. Because, like, obviously, like, Kobe, Powell, Lamar, like, they won two titles in mm-hmm. 2009, 2010. So, like, they didn't win in 2008, but that, that nucleus still won a championship. So, I guess more of what I'm asking is, like, which nuclei did not win a title? Well, what gets kind of complicated here with the Lakers specifically is actually kind of their greatest attribute organizationally. Um, When the Lakers feel like they have the talent or they have a superstar, historically speaking, they have gone for it. And, and for the most part, they have come through, you know, they don't have, they don't have any Charles Barkley's in their organ in, in, in franchise history. They don't have any Carl Malone's or John Stockton's in their history. If they had an all timer on their roster or an all timer or two, they they did what it what they had to do to be able to to get as many championships out of that as as they could and and even in Shaq and and Kobe uh you know during that era and yes they left titles on the table Shaq has said that Kobe has said that uh but but they still did something that we may never see again in in winning a three-peat so it's kind of tough you know nuclei when, when we're talking about nucleus a group of players that together should have won a title. 
more often than not, they, they did. And so you wind up having to find kind of one-off teams in the midst of those eras uh, where where you felt like they, they could have or should have won a championship. And the team that kind of comes to my mind in terms of just kind of squandered talent and 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 a, a completely missed opportunity, that, that team's always going to be the 2012-2013 team. I mean, mm-hmm. the, now this is going to be fun team. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was this just brutal thing to watch from start to finish. Remember Mike D'Antoni, like once a week was saying the season starts now. Uh, <laughs> it's like he somehow found a way to piss off Pau Gasol, which is just, I thought, you know, emotionally, physically, psychologically impossible to that point. Uh, and, you know, Dwight Howard and Kobe were just, they weren't they weren't you know clashing publicly so much as it was they were trying so hard not to clash publicly that i would have preferred that they just come out and say we hate each other like that would have been nice right, they had that like fake staged <laughs> right. punching photo right yeah, right like, yeah above Dean tony on the trainer's table <laughs> it was just it was the most i think that was like my facebook photo for a very long time <laughs> it was just like it was it was as close as you could come to just outright admitting, yeah, we, we, we aren't really fans of each other. Like we just, we're going to try to, you know, smile, smile and grin our way through this thing. It's kind of like, you know, all those blind date shows back in the day uh, on MTV where remember next, they got like a certain amount of money for sticking around on a date for, uh, for so such an amount of time that like by the end of it, you could always kind of tell which, which, couple was going to go for the money and which couple was going to say no I'm 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 good I'm going to go ahead and try this again the that Lakers team and Dwight and Kobe specifically were on one of those just brutal dates that was awful to watch and you know Mike D'Antoni was there pranking them throughout the whole time uh they had injury issues remember Steve Nash broke his leg uh I think either opening night or close to it they, Second Mike, game of the season. Yeah, yeah Mike Brown was <laughs> was somehow involved. Five game head coach. <laughs> right. the The most successful person involved in this grand f up of a of a season was uh, Bernie Bickerstaff, who walked away with it yep. uh, with with like the the best winning percentage as a head coach in <laughs> Lakers history. So like that was it was just it was just brutal thing. But even there, like that was. You know, the the hope there was that it would extend the Kobe and Powell run. So are we saying that was a part of the Kobe Powell nucleus years? Or was that like an experiment that, that was going to branch off beyond Powell? I don't I, I don't oh, really I know how we're defining that. I would say it's different because like you don't have Lamar, you don't have Bynum. Yeah. Um, like you don't have Fisher either. So there's enough of that core from the championship teams that was gone and and it's probably why it didn't work out that well, because even though those guys were replaced by theoretically better players, uh, yeah, something about like the the heart and locker room presence you get from you know Fisher, Odom, like that's it's very hard to replace. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested. Maybe after we quick take a quick second here, but I want to hear the the you know the research and the stuff you found out about that sixty one sixty two season because it was so long ago that for. The vast majority of people listening to this, there it's it's new information to them. So I'm I'm kind of interested what you found there. Yeah. So what was weird about the '62 team is that 
like I, you know, I watch Laker games with my dad a lot, and he has a very ingrained hatred of the Celtics that it's hard for me to internalize just because for the majority of my lifetime, they haven't been our primary rival. Right, you know, they like, haven't I think mattered. the Spurs, I think exactly, one title in the last 33 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of the Spurs as like the team that I really hate as a Laker fan, or um, like the Blazers were tough to get past, you know, a lot of the time. For a while, I really hated the Suns because of those... Uh, Kobe years that they just kept falling, you know, in the first round. But uh, when I started digging into the 62 Lakers, uh, you start to realize just like why it is that beating the Celtics matters so much to fans of the Lakers, because they lost to the Celtics six times in the finals in the 1960s. I'm going to repeat that just for a second. They lost to the Celtics six times in the finals (laughs) in one decade, which is I just don't understand, like, probability-wise, something would have to happen, you know, to change things. Like, when I was looking into the 62 team, uh, they were they were underdogs going into the series. Like, Boston was three-time defending champion. They had Bill Russell. They've got Kuzi. They've got uh, Heinsohn, Sam Jones. Like, very deep team, whereas the Lakers are essentially just Elgin Baylor and Jerry West, who, by all means, incredible talents. Jerry West only in his second year, though. Mm-hmm. And Elgin Baylor is in his fourth year at this point. So, a little bit younger, not the experience of Boston, you know, uh, not really that many good teammates to share the floor with. Uh, the main guys on that team, uh, Rudy LaRusso, uh, Ray Oh, Felix. I remember Rudy. He was my, I have his jersey, actually. Um. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, he's Frank a Selby. huge LaRusso uh, fan in, in the Irwin household. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so Selvi and then this uh, the center named Krebs. Um <laughs> And so I'm I'm watching tape of the 62 team and like legitimately like it looks like Krebs' stomach is hanging out of his jersey and like this is the starting center for the Lakers who's like ostensibly having to go against Bill Russell. Um, he was so, like, the Jokic before Jokic. What are you talking about? The Jokic before Jokic. <laughs> like we joke about the physical fitness of NBA players right now. Take them off an NBA court and they look <laughs> yeah. like spelt human beings. Right. right. That's not the case in the 1960s, right? <laughs> These are legitimately, like, unfit players. <laughs> like, most of these guys can't even dribble with their left hand. Like, they're throwing up, like, these one-handed push shots. I mean, yeah, you know, hold on to your 17 titles, Boston. A lot of these are in an era that is unrecognizable in terms of the basketball we play now. But um, one could go up with anybody it's just they didn't really have a front court as much as you love Rudy LaRusso I, I don't think he was the guy who could stand up against the Celtics um, no no he had he had just, some trouble well, with Bill Russell <laughs> yeah, the way they just kept running into the Celtics like in 62 they lose in game seven because Selvi has this wide open jumper from like 12 feet away that he just shanks and that mm. would have won it in regulation and they end up losing it overtime because Baylor fouls out um in like the 64 finals, 65 finals, they lost three games by three points. Like they were oh. always so close. It's just like one or two rebounds don't go in their direction. Um, you know, Bill Russell, meanwhile, is like collecting 40 rebounds in game seven. Like who, who does that? Um, but, <laughs> well, you got to think. I think thought it was about, a typo. <laughs> think about like, so Bill Russell was actually in, sh- in shape, right? So, like, he's probably asking, you know, these guys, hey, are, are Mr. Krebs or whatever your name is, are, are you sure you don't want to try for this rebound? 
<laughs> like there were probably 45 rebounds in the game and Russell got 40 of them because this Krebs guy was sitting there like yeah. all these guys, you know, back then they all had to have uh second jobs basically. Mm-hmm. Um Krebs I'm sure was a professional eater. And and so <laughs> and so Russell's just sitting it there makes... thinking like at some point yeah. are you ever going to try for one of these boards and 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 it yeah. turns out he wasn't going to. It makes you really appreciate like how good Baylor and West were because they could legitimately get their shot even though nobody else on the team could. And like yeah. Baylor was just a different athletic specimen at that time. Like, yeah. The way he moved, the way he was able to elevate, like you just didn't see that that often. Um, but yeah, the, the Russell thing is just maddening, which is why, you know, it took the Lakers acquiring Wilt Chamberlain to finally like win a title with Jerry West because they just needed a big man who could actually do something. Yeah. And unfortunately, for some reason, you know, Baylor retired like as that season was getting underway. So he wasn't able to right. win a championship. But but uh, but yeah, the, Wilt Chamberlain finally replacing Krebs. It's just that you could you could see the difference there. I can't get over the guy's last name. The Lakers got a, the Lakers oh, the caught, a, caught a case Baylor of factoid. Um, yeah. Anywho, I'm going to go ahead. Baylor factoid from that season, though. Mm-hmm. is that uh, he was um, enlisted with the Army at the time, so he couldn't be with the Lakers unless it was on weekends. Wow. So he didn't practice, didn't play any of the weekday games, and just played in the regular season on the weekends. And was still a monster. Still a monster. 38 points per game, 14 rebounds. Like, this... 18 rebounds, I'm sorry. This guy was incredible. I mean, I understand, like, the talent pool is diluted, only nine teams, but still, like, to just... be legitimately serving the country five days and then kind of that's that's insane uh the the other team that i kind of i don't know if they qualify do you do you think this team qualifies the 97 98 lakers the the team oh, absolutely. That, you think absolutely. so because adding phil jackson i think was such a big piece mm-hmm. oh yeah you're right so they're fundamentally so, different than you know the champion the three p lakers i would say yeah so, I mean, if we're counting them, so the, in 97, 98, that was the year that the Lakers sent four players to the All-Star game. Kobe was uh-huh. a bit of an exception here uh, because, well, no. Yeah. Well, he was voted in by the fans. So right. right. So even he though he was, didn't start for the Lakers. Right, right. So uh, this was, you know, for, for the people, this always kind of drove me insane with, you know, during during D'Angelo Russell's early career and... For a lot of the, uh, for a lot of the the younger Lakers, when when the Lakers were trying to build through the draft, was that like a lot of people just thought that Kobe had it right away, and he like yeah he he showed flashes and stuff, and he looked like he could be special, but he was no like he was not somebody that I was shocked that 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 you know or that that uh, early on in his career, uh, Del Harris even thought that yeah he should probably come off of the bench. And, and, you know, here we are with, with this kid that he got, he got voted in because of how popular he was off the court. And he was this young up and coming Laker, but you look at his numbers. I went to the wrong, uh, I went to the wrong year for a second there, but 15, uh, 15 and a half points a game, 43% from the field, 34, but only three attempts from three point range. Um, you know, he, he played, uh, he he only started one game and played 26 minutes a game. Like 
he was he could he looked like he could be pretty good and this was his year 19 season so you're like okay yeah this this could turn into something mm-hmm. great but it wasn't you know i if you would have told me back when he was 19 if you would have like detailed the kind of season that he wound up having to me i don't know if i would have necessarily believed it and i don't think del harris would have believed it he's i harrison always kind of laughs at me for how <laughs> the disdain that i show regularly for del harris this guy was like he just refused to play Eddie Jones and Kobe Bryant together. Like it was just a thing that he just refused to 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 take a look at. The Lakers at that time had Nick Van Exel, uh Kobe, they had uh, like I said Eddie Jones, they had Shaq, um and you know, they they had Eldon Campbell who for some reason was playing power forward on that team. So it was just it was this team that was just like begging to be brought into modern times where you would have just basically four guys around Shaq. So I think like a, a fun mm-hmm. lineup would have been uh, Nick, Eddie, Kobe, Ori, and Shaq, or even, you know, uh, Nick, Eddie, Kobe. They had Rick Fox at the time, and he was always a big-ish small forward, so he could technically right. probably play power forward in today's game. Like, if they would have just brought that team out here – I don't know that they win a championship for sure, but that's a fun, like a really fun team. If they just, if, or, or maybe if we don't bring them out to this year, but we instead bring, you know, transport the modern way of thinking about the way the game should be played to back then, that team probably runs away with a championship. That's a really effing good team that wasn't <laughs> able to to reach their potential because of the way that everybody thought basketball should be should have been played back then. Right, and they ended up losing to Utah in this conference finals, right, because Utah kind of had the the book written on how to play basketball in that era. Right, exactly. <laughs> and we were trying to match up with them when stylistically it would have behooved the Lakers to do something a little different. Right, right. It was it was a really really good team, but, you know, it, you know, you you see how history can be changed just by, you know, the strategy surrounding a team that, that 97, 98 team. And then you think of, so if they win a championship with that core, they probably don't trade for Glenn Rice, obviously. Uh, right. You, you have a little bit more, you know, talent that is on bird rights surrounding Shaq and Kobe because they drafted Nick Van Exel. They drafted Eddie Jones, um, obviously drafted Kobe and Shaq. So you have these guys that, you know, the Lakers could have gone way over the salary cap to be able to keep those guys. I, although it might have been a slightly different salary cap back then. Uh, but yeah, you, I just you, feel like you had to get rid of Del Harris in order to keep Nick Van Exel. But then they ended up losing both of them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was that was a, oh man, an all-time fun YouTube clip search is if you go and you find... Uh, the last Lakers shot taken at the old Boston Garden. And it's a Nick Van Exel three-pointer to win a game there. And it just, it's so perfectly summed up this season, uh, that, that 97-98 season, because you had, <laughs> uh, Shaq was on the court, but hardly saw the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. They had the, the, whoever was inbounding the ball, the, the play was essentially like, all right, we're going to set a cross-screen up top, like 40 feet away from the basket, that isn't going to serve any purpose whatsoever. Nick Van Exel <laughs> is going to like go rogue and flash to the ball and be the only option that is open 
because of the play that Dell Harris designed. He's going to catch the ball facing uh, away from the basket and have to like turn around and huck an obviously ill-advised under any other circumstances type of shot. He makes it. Dell Harris like stomps onto the court, puffing his chest out there like he did something. He didn't do anything. <laughs> he, he, drew, <laughs> he drew up a god-awful play. He goes out there like, yeah, I did that. Who's the boss oh. now? And like Nick Van Exel like runs off the court, you know, this what they, they wind up, you know, for for the Lakers time in, in that godforsaken building, uh that that closed it out. And all of the Lakers players are celebrating amongst each other. Del Harris is off celebrating by himself for God knows why. Uh and and you know, I just thought it was a it was a perfect kind of amalgamation of why that season was was in in some parts hugely fun and exciting because you saw where this team might be able to go, but also hugely frustrating because they had the coach from Hoosiers demanding that they pass the ball <laughs> five times every time up and down the court. Yeah. I'm not bitter at all. It's it's, like, it's, I, <laughs> I have uh, fond memories of the 99 team, but yeah. it's probably just because Kobe was more unleashed, but then they, they had lost some of that talent, you know, with, I think was Van Exel gone by that year? Yeah, yeah. And I think Van Exel yeah. was was uh, I think he was either tra- I think he was traded to Denver that off season. Right. Eddie Jones, uh, I believe, also gets traded. Uh, him and mm-hmm. a couple other players wind up being traded. For, maybe was Nick a part of the deal? Because they traded for Glenn Rice, I believe that that right, summer. I thought Eddie Jones was part of the Glenn Rice deal. Yeah, no, I know Eddie Jones was. I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure out if if Nick was too, but I don't think he was. I think he was a part. No, they traded. They traded uh, Nick Van Exel to Denver for Tony Batie. That was brutal. Oh right. Yeah, yeah. 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 That was and, very much a Del Harris forced move. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then Del Harris gets fired a year later. Uh, but eventually we get yeah. to uh, eventually we get to the three Pete Lakers. But but yeah, the yeah. 97, 98 was was a. a Really, really fun core. Should have been a more fun core. A team that we look back on with a lot more intrigue and fascination than, than maybe we do, uh, because of just like the group of young talent that they had. Like we all remember when when uh, like Lonzo was young and the Lakers had Clarkson mm-hmm. and and they had this group of you know the the remember the the Lakers young core was basically one of my auto fill entries on the phone and. You know, there was always this comparison, like, where does a Lakers young core compare with other teams and this and that? Could you right. imagine that young core? Like a oh young, a youngish Shaq, a young, really 19-year-old Kobe. Eddie Jones was, I believe, like 22, I think. Still maybe. on his rookie contract. Yeah, yeah. And, and Nick Van Exel was, was – they had just drafted uh, Derek Fisher as well. Like, they, there was this, like, nice, really fun young – Lakers team that that should have been uh it was probably too young to do any major winning they 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 won just right. on just sheer talent yet. but but yeah. god that was a fun team yeah, yeah and I think you'd have to put them above the 2012-13 team just because they accomplished more you know within their year yeah and it's just so much more pleasant to look back on too yeah Jeez. yeah <laughs> I almost feel like this exercise is wasted on the Lakers because like you said, you know, the Lakers work so hard to bring in enough talent so that the stars don't go hungry, you know? Yeah. Like what they just did with LeBron James, right? Um, exactly. Hopefully we don't end up looking back at this 2019-20 team as one of the best to never win a title. Um, not because I think there's going to be a 
finish this regular season just because I think this core eventually will win something. But it, it seems like a better suited exercise for franchises that just haven't had the type of success that the Lakers have. Yeah. And I mean, this is why, you know, this is why Jeannie made the move to get rid of Jim the way that she did. And, and even mm-hmm. why I think, yeah, I'd be interested if you could give Magic Johnson some truth serum and ask him, you know, beyond, hey, Magic, why did you, you know, if I was to ask him, why did you step down? And, and other than, you know, I really wanted to tweet, I'm, I, I would be interested <laughs> to hear, like, if he felt like he was letting down LeBron, because when he was a Laker, they did everything they could. They got him five championships. When Kobe was a Laker, they did everything they could, and they got him five championships. Even with Shaq being as frustrating as he could have been at some times, they got him three rings. So, you know, mm-hmm. Magic is sitting there in the spot where <clears throat> for in, in Lakers history, the expectation is if you have an all-timer and, and LeBron is an all-timer of all-timers, you're expected to help elevate that guy to heights he wouldn't be able to get in another organization. And I kind of wonder in the back of Magic's mind, was he thinking, I, 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 I have failed miserably to this point and I should step aside and maybe give LeBron a better chance at uh, the, the, the responsibility that has, that the Lakers have, have welcomed in having those all timers on in, in their history. Uh, if the if LeBron doesn't win a championship, that's that's the example here, right? Like that's the for for uh, Prada's uh, exercise here, where he's looking at nuclei and then finding a single year within those seasons. You know, this would probably be the year that would would fit his exercise best. But that would be the disappointment is that, and and that's what made Magic's tenure so frustrating is because everybody else, every other all-time great that was a Laker eight, like you said, and, and and it didn't appear while Magic was in charge that LeBron was ever going to get the chance to be able to do so as well. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, maybe stretching boundaries of, you know, science to get Magic Johnson to admit any culpability in terms of his <laughs> role point. as the president <laughs> of basketball operations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, oh my God, the the face, the face that I see every time of just like, I'm not going to be here next year. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Magic, like, I know Magic do you Magic hold yourself Johnson accountable? Nope. <laughs> is one of the greatest Lakers of all time, arguably the greatest Laker of all time, one of the greatest NBA players of all time. I don't, it's so hard for me to even put that in my head anymore. I just see the face. That's yeah. all I got. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, this has been a fun little exercise <laughs> to talk about what might have been. Um, yeah. Thanks again for coming on, Anthony. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen Roll podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And take care.